Well, at this time, I invite you to turn in your Bibles again. Please turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. And I did, in the beginning of the week, I started the dubious process, Dick will know this, of thinking that I should combine two ideas into one sermon. And as I was working it out, I just realized that my seminary professors are right, that one sermon really should have one main idea. And so it became two sermons. So it says meditating with Elijah, but it's really going to be following with Elisha. And and that will be either next week or the following week. So we'll be reading again the call of Elisha, which we did last week. And then I will flip to a gospel passage, Mark chapter 1 and read the call of Jesus to the first disciples. So let us hear now God's word to us. So Elijah departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yoke of oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. And then turning to Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Please pray with me now. Lord, would you give us hearts to hear this simple truth and that we would be not only hearers but doers of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know... Kung Fu. If you grew up around my time, there was a movie that came out in the late 90s. I'm old enough now that I can start referencing old movies. This is kind of cool. But it was groundbreaking at the time, and being a college student, you know, we, we were all agog about The Matrix. And in The Matrix, there is this alternate world in which we are all really just batteries used for our heat hooked into this giant network run by artificial intelligence that has taken over the world. And to keep us productive in producing our body heat, they have this simulation, which just seems to stay stuck in 1999 or somewhere around there. But there are a few humans, they're freedom fighters, who have been freed from the Matrix, and they can re-enter it. And, and the cool thing is, since reality is just a program, you can do really neat things. Sometimes you can bend the rules of the program. Sometimes you can break the rules of the program. 
But even better, if you are a freed individual in the matrix, if you need to learn something, all it takes is five-minute download. You need to be able to fly a helicopter just like that. Right? You, you need to learn how to do some skill just like that. It's downloaded and you're an expert. And one of the most fun scenes in The Matrix is where the, the hero protagonist, Neo, has spent the whole morning having hand-to-hand -hand combat programs downloaded into his brain. At the end of the time, he says to his teacher, Morpheus, I know Kung Fu. And so begins one of the more fun choreographed fight scenes in, in movie cinema. Well, The Matrix presents a fascinating view of the body. Uh, much of it is is in your mind, it's virtual, it's cyber, and that's where all the fascinating things happen. But there is this yearning to get back to just an embodied experience. It's a very interesting view of the body. But the reason why I bring that up today is because I think many of us would have a yearning for a matrix-type discipleship. Wouldn't it be so nice if in order to grow in godliness, we could just get a download? Yeah. You need to learn a certain theology, you download. You need to, need to learn a little bit of humility, there's a program for that. You download it. Wouldn't that be nice? Or, or couldn't I just, you know, learn things and, and wouldn't just that knowledge be able to make me a fully mature Christian? Well, of course, knowledge is the beginning of, of knowing the Lord, but it's ineffective without action. Discipleship must involved not only knowing, but follow through. So last week we talked about how God calls you, gives you a new identity, gives you new clothing, um, demands your absolute commitment. And we're going to see now that that commitment requires action. The point today is very simple. Discipleship is doing. Discipleship is doing. You could say it's more than that, but it must involve doing. When Jesus calls you, he transforms you. He molds you into his apprentice. And that requires a whole person effort, right? Our minds, our hearts, but also carried out an embodied life. Discipleship is doing. So what we're going to do, look at is, and we'll start with this idea of discipleship is doing, just, just from the Elijah narrative. Elisha leaves everything and follows Elijah. In the parallel passage that we saw in the Gospels, the disciples leave their nets and they follow Jesus. It's, it's good to just review what following means today, because following has many different connotations. There's different kinds of following, right? Um, today we have a very eclectic way that you can follow someone. You can follow someone on Facebook or Instagram, or you can subscribe to their, their YouTube channels. and It's a very convenience-based relationship, right? You can, you can go in and dip in and take what you want, and that's fine. Everyone's happy with that. In fact, they're happy with that if you just come in and, and you, you listen a little bit, see their content. Either way, though, you do it as little or much as you want to. Kids, this kind of following is much more like taking piano lessons, music lessons. Right? You think about it. You want to be able to play like your teacher does. Or at least your parents do. Hopefully you do, too. Um, eventually you have to decide you want to do that if you're going to progress. So you go to lessons and you listen. You watch and you listen. But if that is all that you do, you will not get far at all. In fact, um, Elizabeth, when she was younger, before she married me, and she was living at home and helping her parents in, in her late teens and just into her early 20s, 
she she got her living money by by teaching students. She had over 15 piano students, and she would go on circuit. Some would come there, and she said one of the most frustrating things was when she'd have students that wouldn't practice. She said they're wasting their parents' money, right? You, sure, you've got to listen, but then you have to, to play, and the teacher kind of critiques and provides encouragement. And then you go home and you practice and practice and practice. And that's a serious commitment of time and effort and energy. Following Jesus is a little bit more like that. The discipleship type of following that we have is a lifelong effort to commit ourselves to learning to be like Jesus day by day. We need to see ourselves then as the the learner as an apprentice. And that's exactly what happened with Elijah and Elisha and Jesus and the disciples. You think about it. The disciples, they stayed in Jesus' shadow. They were... We'd say in the army, they were in his hip pocket. They were right next to him, watching what he was doing. And watched every move he made. And and then he started to let them go into the shallow end of the ministry pool. And he he would encourage them and correct them. And finally, he would send them out to preach and teach. It's a progression. And so we we should just say the obvious. Discipleship is, is doing. And the way that God has made us is that you can't go from zero to hero, as fun as it is. In, in the matrix, in five minutes, it's a lifelong commitment. Well, this is something that I doubt any of you would disagree with coming today. I doubt it's anything that new in your minds, but I just want to ask you, you know, is this something, a, a truth that you wake up with in the beginning of the day? We have this gap between our knowledge and our actions. Do, do you wake up and say, I have been called today a disciple a follower of Jesus. I am an apprentice to him today. That's what I get to do. We need to be reminded to arm ourselves with this attitude that Jesus is our master and we learn from him. So discipleship's doing. Well, what does that take? What does it look like? How do we apply it in practice? Uh, I mentioned four things. Most of them are, you can see from this text. And the first of all is that it requires a discipline. Not in the sense that it's all up to you to make things happen, but that God does require us, he calls us to engage in in our skill and all of our effort for his glory. And and this is part of, of what is the beauty of being made in the image of God. God could have done it all. He began but, but then in Genesis 1, he puts Adam and Eve there and says, okay, this is what I've done now. Now go and transform the world. We know that ultimately God is the one who's going to do things, but he does give us this role as deputies. And as people who have been called as his disciples, God gives us the joy of using our skills and talents every day to serve him in his kingdom. You bring him honor when you follow that that creation cycle of work and rest. Not only in your daily work, but as you approach your life as a disciple of Jesus. And, and let's be honest, that's, that is a lot of hard work. Any crucial skill or craft or job worth doing takes painstaking time and effort, practice over and over and over again. Now, you might hear the objection, maybe you think of it, but you might hear it, well, you know, that, that's not spiritual. You know, that's, that's just hard work and developing good habits. I, I could read Stephen Covey on that, just read a book, Seven Habits, right? There's a lot of good things in that. Well, it's wisdom. It's how God has created us to work. And if that's how it works for something like learning how to paint or learning how to learn music or, or learning 
order anything, we work the same way as we grow in Christ. I've shared this quote before, but I feel like I need to share it every couple of years from D.A. Carson about the effort it takes, discipline and discipleship. He says, people do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to scriptures, faith and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. You think about once God does that work in your life, once he calls you to himself, what is the way that you grow? You grow by step by step following Jesus, whether it is the disciplines of the means of grace. As you daily seek the Lord in scripture or in prayer, as you make it a point to engage actively in worship. Or as you, by his grace, make it a point to fight the sin in your lives and you, you don't allow the little sins that you cherish to grow up and become big, but you fight them and you root them out using the armor of Christ. You grow as you make it a point to serve others wherever God has put you. As you sacrifice and you love your brother as you are to love God. These are the ways. It is, it is so ordinary. Someone actually wrote a book called Ordinary. Saying this is, does not seem exciting. It does not seem like you know the wow of the matrix. But this day by day faithfulness, this discipline, is how God calls us to grow. Now you need to be careful not just to keep a list of things that you need to do. You can you can fall into several traps when it comes to discipline. You could fall into the performance trap where you've got your list and if you've done it, it doesn't matter where your heart is, you feel that you're good with God and, and, and God must love you. And if you don't follow it and you fall short, you feel like you have a bad day and you're, you're worth less. That's certainly not right. It's not the gospel. You could also fall into the comparison trap. There's kind of the urban legend about uh, Vern Poitras, who is an absolutely brilliant professor. He's probably at the end of his career at Westminster. He's wrote, written all these high-level books, but a brilliant man, has at least two doctorates. When he was in his 20s, he was at Westminster, and he did his devotions in Greek and Hebrew. And that was just, you know, how he communed with the Lord, and there was a person, urban myth is, that he was coming to checked the seminary out and saw this or heard of this and said, these guys are way above my pay grade. I need to go somewhere else, right? Where you can compare yourself because I don't have chapters of Bible memorized or because I can't study the Bible like does. Somehow I'm failing. You can fall in those traps. The point is that you take your faith seriously. And as Paul says, you train yourself for godliness. And this means we simply must put time into growing in the disciplines of grace. In praying and reading scripture and serving your neighbors, there is no other way. And so, as you think about this discipline, do you think about yourself as a disciple of Christ where you are training? Most of us are trying to improve in some place, whether it's whether you have physical goals or you want to learn a new skill or you want to read a certain amount of books. Do we have that same mentality when we think about ourselves 
as disciples of Christ? Do we have a plan? Are we following it in a disciplined way? Perhaps there's a discipline that you know, and you know you should be doing it. The Lord's calling you to you let it slip. So now you say, you know, I, I really should go back and recommit to doing that discipline. For me, it's, it's scripture memorization. That is something that has fallen by the wayside, especially with the, the kids. And um, Elizabeth does it in the morning when she's feeding the kids. She's got her little Bible app, and that works great for her. She's, a, she's an inspiration to me that way. But I need to find a time where I can carve out. The Lord definitely works in my mind, as a, in my heart, as I'm memorizing. So this is, as, I'm, as I'm preparing, this is a discipline that, that I have been done, doing, and I should recommit to do. Or perhaps... What if you don't know what to do or you get easily discouraged? Well, that leads us to our second part, then, of what discipleship looks. Discipleship is done in community. It is not just you doing it on your own. Both examples here of Elijah and Elisha and Jesus' disciples, they are carried out in a close relationship. For Elisha, every day was eat, sleep, drink, prophetic ministry. The disciples were constantly taught by Jesus. They had a model, someone who was mentoring them, who was moving them along. So how does that work for us? Well, first of all, it it counters very much the assertion that I can be a Christian on my own, and it's just me and Jesus. We've talked about embodied life, uh, life together in the church. We're, We're meant to share life together. We're also meant to help each other grow together. And although Jesus is our ultimate mentor, he is the one that is our master, he, he often mentors us through the church and people in it. Think about much of most of our Christian practice happens outside of this hour when we gather today. In many points, this is, this is the high point where we come together and we enjoy God and, and worship changes and reorient our heart and gives us grace and we, we remember what Jesus has done and it sends us out with that blessing Worship may change your heart, but, but discipleship tra- changes, trains your hands. And those two don't fight. I mean, you, worship will change your practice, and discipleship will change your heart. But, but there is a real sense in which you are not going to grow much in the skills of discipleship during worship. Let's say you, you come away today and you say, you know, I just, I'm really convicted that I should, I should be praying more. Well, well, how do you learn how to pray? Well, you can listen to some good sermons on prayer. That can get you started. You can, can maybe even read some good books on prayer. But how are you really going to grow in prayer, especially if you don't know how to pray? Well, you're, you're going to have to go to another Christian whom you respect, whether it's an elder or just someone in the faith that's older than you, and you say, hey, you know, would you help me with this? I've, I've seen you pray. I've heard you pray. I'd love to pray more. Or maybe you're someone who says, I I should be praying, I know how to pray, but honestly, I find it difficult right now. Well, one of the best ways would be to to grab a brother and sister and say, hey, can we pray together? Maybe today it's like, can we Zoom and pray one-on-one? It's one of the things we do in our Wednesday night time together because we we want to have that time praying together, and it is both an encouragement and an accountability when we pray in communion. D.A. Carson, the, the theologian that I quoted about the disciplines of the Christian life, he's spoken on prayer, and he, he mentioned how when he was in his college years, or maybe right after, he was pursuing chemistry at the time, and to be an organic chemist, and there was, a, there was an older man in his church that said, Summer, Don, come and, 
come over to my house and we'll pray together. And by pray, he meant two hours of, of prayer. And this older man discipled young Don Carson, who would become one of the, the great pastor theologians uh, of the, the 20th century. And so the Lord has meant us to be together. Discipleship is meant to be with people, whether it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a, a learner-teacher relationship, sometimes that's important, or whether it's a peer-to-peer where we're encouraging each other. But you must not think of something as discipleship as just something that I do with Jesus. It's carried out in the community of faith. Well, that leads to the third thing about discipleship, and that is humility. See, doing and practicing doing requires a servant attitude and a willingness to be humble. This is something Elisha committed to. You think about it, Elisha was a pretty wealthy man. He was probably a a landowner, someone who had a lot of esteem, maybe been a city elder, one of those those guys that would talk about sitting at the gates. Had a life of comfort. And then he leaves it to learn, and it says in verse 21, he assisted Elijah. That word assist has a wide range of meanings. It can mean one who serves as God's minister in the temple to someone who simply served at tables. And it seems probably here it's all the above. He is described later on, his first description when someone was looking for a prophet is, well, Elisha was the one who poured water for Elijah, literally waiting on his teacher. So that clearly take on a role of apprentice and servant there requires a lot of humility. If you're going to seriously become a disciple and take that learning role seriously, you're going to put yourself in in positions that require humility. Uh, The position of a learner, the position of a repenter, a weaker brother or sister who needs help in something. It means that you're going to be learning and growing from people who are different than you, maybe younger than you, maybe in even some cases less mature in an area for you. Uh, I mentioned last week that if possible, when I come back, I would I would like to be a martial art with my kids if that if that just works in the schedule. And um, I remember I, I took a Shotokan karate for just just a few years, and I walked into the dojo as a as a mid to late teenager, and you know I'm a white belt, and you know up front is a 12-year-old girl who's doing the, the, the exercise, right? Someone who's a lot smaller than me, but she's learned it for five years. She has something to teach. And I know that if I were to take a martial arts, a mat, mat work like jiu-jitsu, when I walk into that facility for the first time, I will be the most helpless person in there when it comes to falling on the ground. You put yourself, when you're uh, as someone who's new, in a position of a few if you are a new Christian, you know, it can be intimidating when everyone, it seems, knows more than you. If you are weak in a particular area and someone else is more mature, you, you, that can be hard to admit. Where you are sinful, others will be examples to you. And we need that humility to remember that God has placed us where we learn from others. And, and that is all the more when Jesus calls you to do something before you have it down perfectly. 
Because isn't that what he does? When you see his disciples, he is putting them out there in places where at least on a small level, they're going to fail. That's, that's how you learn. That's how the Lord uh, teaches you. That's how he exposes uh, both the immaturity and, and limitations of your, your life, but also the sinfulness of your heart. Has any of you felt that with, with COVID and, and your response in just any area in COVID? This is, this is a, something, a completely unheard of situation. All of a sudden, we don't have any normal patterns. And now how are we reacting? How are we responding? I don't know if it's about you, but have you, have you noticed any immaturity or sinful uh, attitudes coming out of your heart? Or, or is that just me? Like there's, there's these places where Jesus will put you, and it's even more so if you're following him diligently every day, where it seems like he will say, I'm going to stretch you. And there's going to be places where you're going to fail. But you're going to receive my, receive my grace. And you're going to have your brothers and sisters to support you. Jesus did this for Peter when he was going out with the Gentiles. Talk about stretching someone. But the Gentiles were the unclean people. And Jesus sends him this vision saying, Do not call unclean what I have called clean. And then the messengers from Cornelius come. And, and Peter becomes the bridgehead to the Gentiles. And, and he's going out there, and it's beautiful until some hardcore Jewish Christians come, and Peter starts to pull back. He starts to distance himself. And it takes a brand new, or at least newer, apostle, Paul, to call him out. But without that stretching, Peter wouldn't have grown, wouldn't have received grace. I encourage you, as you consider your discipleship, to be humble. To be willing to learn from others, and even humble enough to risk failure, or to risk a lack of perfection in your obedience and faithfulness to the Lord. Well, last of all, what does discipleship look like? It's love for Jesus. How do you do the hard things of the faith? A lot of us who have been Christians for a while, if we're honest and look at some of the everyday motivations we have, we can fall into the broccoli trap. Now, I actually like broccoli. Samuel likes broccoli, at least in some ways. But many people don't like broccoli. But they say, I eat it because it's good for me. Right? And we have all these disciplines. And I, it's hard. It's not always fun. Um, but I do it because it's good for me. Now, there are some times where you do, in our, in our weeks, things have feelings. That's, that's just But there can be a sort of faith where you've just lost that and you're just doing it before you set out. And that's not what drives Christian discipleship. In fact, when you're just doing it because you know it's good for you, it means you're drifting from the Master. What power is the disciple of Jesus? You think about the, the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul is someone who all kinds of hardships, of persecutions, of beatings. And yet when you read him, it seems like he wouldn't want it any other way. Now there were his times of discouragement, but at the high points of his letters, he is excited, he's ecstatic for the privilege of serving the Lord. And, and he, he lays it out in, in 2 Corinthians 15, where he talks about 5, and he talks about the ministry of reconciliation. And he says... The love of Christ compels me. It's the love of Christ that moves me forward. That was his passion. We we do need to commit to Christ, to follow him every day. But the the, the wonderful news is that's not where it started. 
about the gospel story, and we were not committed to God. We wanted to do everything. He gave us his life. He gave us his love. He covered us from God's wrath and brought his kingdom family dying on the cross. And that's what keeps you going. His love for you and for me. Here's how I challenged you. When you are, and not if, when you are carrying out your acts of discipleship, when you are being disciplined, when you even get up early to come to a early to come to a nine o'clock service, right? When you carry out these disciplines, do it as an act of devotion to Jesus. Make a conscious effort that Lord, I'm doing this because I love you. There are times. Right now, you know where we are with our kids. And um, in fact, right right before we were coming over, I came over and uh, we had nice matching outfits for Tommy and Rachel. And I think we need to move Rachel up to size two. Tommy's in size two diapers because she's just she's just making a mess of some outfits. And so I came over and her nice um, white onesie was a very mustard flavor. And so as Elizabeth changed her, I got the sink and I got the soap. Did I really enjoy doing that? No, but I did it because I loved Elizabeth. And when I made that conscious choice, it makes even that that little unpleasant task something different. Something, I don't know if I'd say special, but meaningful. And so when you read your Bibles, and when you pray, and, and you sing, and you memorize, and you love other people when it's hard, do it not because you have to, because your Savior has loved you and you're doing it as an act, an intentional act at that time, even in person, Lord, I'm doing this because I love you. Well, maybe this would be disciples that act and grow just a little bit more like the Master because we love them. Please pray with me. Lord, to whom else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life, and you have loved us, and you have given yourself for us. So, Father, we commit ourselves to you this week. Would you show us where you want us to be a disciplined, humble disciples that live in community, in accountability, of teaching and being taught, because we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.